Hello everyone, I'm Richard Broad and welcome to our very first episode of the Teacher Hacks podcast. This podcast will be an opportunity for teachers to learn and share best practice across a range of different topics and subjects in teaching and education. Today I'm in conversation with former theatre manager and technician Jack Solzman. Jack is fairly new to the classroom, having turned his hand to teaching in 2016 and now works at Oasis Academy Mayfield in Southampton. He's a maths teacher who has risen to a leadership position quickly in his career and is currently head of year nine with pastoral responsibilities across the year group. He's going to share his story, give some practical tips about how he's developed his skills in managing student behaviour and of course all notes will be available from SenecaLearning.com. So Jack Sosman, welcome and thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. So Jack, um, I've given listeners a quick overview of your career to date. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm interested to know uh, what made you change career from performing arts into the classroom? Um, I felt like I wasn't really having an impact on many, many things. So it was both on my own life, but also other people's lives as well. Um, and I know that's really cliche to say, oh, I went to teaching because I wanted to change everyone's lives. Um, but being a theatre technician, I mean, you're occasionally making people laugh, you're occasionally making, giving people some entertainment, but it's not really changing any lives. And at the same time, it's not changing mine either. I mean, I put it this way, I was working at the age of 28 as a theatre technician on £14,500 a year. And that's not lucrative. <laughs> exactly, it's it's not livable. Mm. Um, so I'm one of those very few people who went into teaching for the money, as well. I didn't actually. Um, <laughs> that's a really min- a minority. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's mainly the first point, but you know it helps. Yeah, there's so much more as I've proved, so much easier progression as far as career is concerned as well in it, and I just really enjoy it. Mm. To be honest. And as I mentioned, you have made that leadership um, transition very quickly. Mm-hmm. Just tell me a little bit. So you, you did your PGC and QTS completed that in yeah. 2016? Yeah, that right? so that yeah. was a 2016-17. Okay, yeah. so how, how would you describe that transition from working behind the scenes in theatre productions <laughs> to being very much in front, of, much in front of, of the scenes in a classroom? Um, I mean, so I actually did a theatre degree, so I did have a bit of experience of all of it and I just kind of fell into the technician side of it. Um, so I have performed, I have got some training in performance side, which helps phenomenally. Like being able to stand in front of that class and not have any sort of fear as far as speaking in front of people or anything like that gives you a real step up. Um, so many of my colleagues starting at the same time had that had that worry of, you know, um, saying the wrong things or stumbling over their lines, stumbling over their words or what they were trying to say or trying to explain something and not being able to explain it correctly. But talking has never been an issue for me. So, and talking to people in front of people has never been a problem. So that was a real, real help. So actually on that side of it, transition was great. It was easy. Um, I think the time management side of it helped a hell of a lot as well. Like, if a show goes up at 7.30, a show's going up at 7.30. If your lesson starts at 3, it starts at 3. There's there's no getting out of that. If you've got to be prepared for it and you've got to be ready for that thing that starts at that time, that's it. Mm. So so that is... It was, it was actually a surprisingly easy transition. Yeah. And to be perfectly honest, with actors and children, behaviour-wise, it's the same. 
<laughs> and then, so that's that's the transition to the classroom. Do you think that had an impact on you getting, uh, you know, becoming a head of year nine within a few years of you starting? Teaching? I think um, yes. I think definitely that. But I'll be honest. I think it was experience of life in general and having a career beforehand, whatever it was. Um, again, so I went through Teach First route, so I had a lot of colleagues um, at the same level of me uh, as me who had never been in a classroom before and suddenly you've got a 75% timetable and it's daunting. But some of my colleagues who happened to struggle, they were the ones that came straight out of university. Don't get me wrong, extraordinarily intelligent and are now extraordinarily good teachers, but in that first term, they're the ones that have only ever done education. They've only ever been in school or college or university and to come straight out and then suddenly be in an adult world working that many hours and having to be that professional constantly, it's it's daunting and it's a big change. So I think 10 years working and being out of education really, really helped in that respect. I had more confidence, I had more professionality, I had more knowledge in my own knowledge of my own limits and I was able to say yes I can do this I know I can do this and actually I'm old enough that I should be at this level already and therefore I wanted it quicker so I went for it quicker makes a lot of sense and I, yeah. I, I completely agree with what you're saying like when I so when I started teaching I was straight out straight out mm. of university uh, and yeah that transition I think is a lot harder if you haven't yeah. had that life or um, or it can be a lot harder if you haven't had that life or work experience beforehand. And it is, it's that life experience. I mean, I'm, I went into this already having rented a flat for years. I was I'm married. Um, all these sorts of just life experiences that you can actually draw back, especially in a subject like maths, where the most common question you get is when the hell is this going to be relevant in my life? with more life experience you can actually give examples of when right, not everything circle theorems is never going to be important in life but i didn't hear you say that no of course not <laughs> um but uh percentages for instance is is shockingly important but they don't realize that yeah. and you've got more experience and more knowledge to be able to explain why this is useful if you have that life experience already great and and you mentioned you know your your experience managing sort of people and um sort of uh, the stage performance side of things mm -hmm. and how that related to the management of kids. I think we, we're going to talk a bit about behaviour management today. Sure. So, what what sort of what's what's your sort of first advice or piece of or technique that you think is has been really beneficial to you? Um, I think having that presence, and I think that's something that I've managed to do is having a presence in a classroom, owning that space. And that is a piece of training that I've had from my theatre training is you walk onto a stage, it's your stage. And I know that sounds slightly pretentious, but it is, it's, it's own the space. Um, and that is when I walk into that classroom or when students walk into that classroom, it's, it's my classroom. That's, yeah, it's Sir's classroom. You don't mess around in Sir's classroom. So how, how, how do you actually do that though? So you, you, you obviously go in and own the space, but what, like, what are the sort of specific um, techniques you use or is it, do you use your voice or is, is it yeah, other, other, so, other things? Um, okay, so I think first impressions are extraordinarily important. So, and this is, you know, any techniques that I'm expressing today are ones that I've been working on since the first time I've had this class in my classroom and you have to build up on it. It's not something you can necessarily say, I'm doing this right now from now and it's going to work immediately um, but it all centers around a respect 
for each other. If you have a certain respect for the students, they will definitely have a certain respect for you. And it is different tones in voice. It's not being monotone. It's never shouting. You can, there's a difference between shouting and raising your voice um, and being able to project and being able to be demanding with your voice, but not shouting is a hell of a good technique. Um, so it's that, it's having basic, but followable rules and explicitly keeping to them. Um, for instance, I've got a, a year eight class now who I also had in year seven. And from the point of their very first lesson, I explained to them that they are allowed to take off their blazers if I've taken my blazer off. And I now have them to a point where they don't even ask whether they're allowed to take their blazer off anymore. They know full well that they can take it off as soon as I've taken mine off. And they don't even ask. They don't even waste mm. time to ask. As soon as my blazer comes off, they take those off, but not a single one does. And it is, I mean, it's a silly little rule, but and it's not about the blazer. I don't really care about the blazer, mm. but it's them very easily showing respect to me and therefore me being able to show respect back to them. And it is all that to and froing about respect. So it's those simple basic rules, but making sure that you keep to it. I, with that blazer example, I, um, with that class, I will occasionally be about to take my blazer off and I'll realize actually someone else has taken theirs off already. And therefore I won't take it off until that kid puts it back on. And as soon as he's put his blazer back on, I'll then take mine off and he can take it off again, but it is making that point. And you just keep making that point, never let it go. However minimal or small it is, I would say. I think that's a really good point because those sort of non-verbal cues that you can give your students where, you know, the, the blazer situation is an opportunity for <coughs> confrontation potentially with a student. Oh, yeah. So if you have that situation where you have that non-verbal cue, it's very clear. If Sir has his blazer on, blazers yeah. are on. Uh, Sir has his blazer off, blazers are off. That's very, that, that's they don't a, a very clear way of doing it. And yeah, you get your lesson started really quickly at exactly. that point as well. That, I mean, that moves me on to another thing is all about those nonverbal cues. It's, um, it's being able to teach your lesson and not have something disruptive. There are so many students out there that their main aim, it seems like their main aim in life is to disrupt your lesson. And they'll do everything that they can. And some of them are really, really clever on it. I'm a sucker for getting into a story and telling a story that's got nothing to do with it because they seem really interested in my theatre life or about my wife or anything like that. And they're not interested at all. They're just interested in not doing the work. Um, so all of these tiny little verbal cues that you know they will jump on if you outright say, um, Bob, spit out that gum, please. Come up here and go to the bin and spit out that gum. That's going to take 15 to 20 seconds of arguing, then a minute for him to get up and walk across the room. Whereas instead, if I'm explaining something on the board, I will not even skip a beat in my sentence, but I'll pick up the bin, I'll walk to that person, I'll put the bin in front of them, they'll know what I'm doing, they'll spit out the gum, I don't even have to stop my sentence. And you just carry on. And it's those, yeah, tiny little non-verbal cues that mean you do not get that disruption and you don't give them the chance to disrupt. Okay, so we talked about the importance of non-verbal cues mm -hmm. um, <coughs> and your sort of presence in, in the room. Um, what, what else would you say is, is really important? Um, along with making that uh, space your own space comes with uh, making it different to other people's and uh, and there is a difference there uh, I mean, it sounds obvious that if it's your space it's not someone else's of course but it's making the rules in your room seem unique and therefore followable I've got um, one thing that I do part of my board is a is a competition 
um, that I time each one of my classes and how quickly they can tidy up at the end of a lesson, um, which includes not talking, blazers on, shirts in, all that sort of stuff, books in a neat pile at the front, um, any sheets that they've used at the front, any equipment back, and then standing up behind their desks um, in silence. And I will time them how long it takes to go from go to that position and whichever class wins the, the fastest by the end of the week gets sweets at the beginning of the next week and then whichever class wins the most weeks over the course of the year um, they we, we have a, a couple of fun lessons we watched a film last year that sort of thing um, but that's individual to my classroom and it's I mean it is extra thing one because once again it's showing the respect once again it's it's saving a hell of a lot of time because if they're packing up and I think the record for my current classroom is 17 seconds if they're <laughs> packing up in 17 seconds I can teach up until about 20 seconds before the bell goes and know that they can still pack up and be on time because they can do it in 17 seconds um, and they want to do it and then you add in rules like don't throw books you know all this sort of stuff because they can't cheat um, but that is a rule that is only or that was a an extra activity that is my classroom and Mr. Salzman does that. And actually, I've seen it start to take um, precedent in other people's classrooms as well. I mean, they're not being timed, but you can see kids trying to pack up quicker because they're practicing their technique. And, but, that's, but that is definitely Mr. Salzman. That's Sir's classroom. We have to be really quick at the end because he times us. So it's, it's making that room special, I suppose. I think as well, it's, it's giving them an incentive, exactly. isn't it? You oh, know, God, you're yeah. uh, you're almost like making it, you're, you're making it into a game yeah. for them to try and pack up as quickly as possible, and it's a very clever way of making sure that they're doing basically yeah. what you want, what you want them to do, it's which Mary is Poppins. pack up quickly. It's Mary Poppins. Yeah. It's exactly what it is. It's, yeah, we're going to tidy up and make it a game. Snap. Exactly. Um, and and it, it it works phenomenally well. I was surprised at how quickly, how well it worked, but they really, really want to do it. And that works across the board as well. I've got year 11s and year 8s battling at the moment. And it's that, comp they love competition. Absolutely love it. And you said, um, you said that, you know, you've got to have these unique things in your classroom that make you, you and your classroom a little bit different, so you're mm. owning the space. How do you think that sits alongside, so that a lot of schools will have a whole school behaviour policy and certain routines and rules that you have to follow as a teacher in the school. Yeah. How does what you do sit alongside those, those um, things? They're exactly the same, I just change them. I just change the wording of it or I okay. change the, the attitude towards it. Uh, we have um, a praise system. Am I allowed to say the company of which praise system it is? You are, yeah. Uh, so we, we use ePraise here. Um, so we can obviously allocate e-praise points to any kids, but I don't call them e-praise points, I call them Salzman points. And that's it, it's exactly the same thing, but they're not e-praise points, they're Salzman points. So they're battling for Salzman points instead. And it's that tiny, but it's exactly the same. And it carries in straight with the policy, but it makes it special, it makes it unique, it makes it different. Interesting, fantastic. Okay, and then also, so I'm a big believer that, you know, that if you're going to learn and progress as quickly as possible, you've got to make sure you you're trying things all the time and you're going to inevit inevitably fail at some of those things as well. Yeah. Have you got <clears throat> an example of any techniques that you've tried that really didn't work? Um, I am a strong believer of field work when it comes to all subjects, not just geography, where they only get you know field experiments and all that sort of stuff from geography. Um, I believe it's extremely useful in math, so I try and take my students outside of the classroom as much as possible. Sometimes that's not a great idea. Last period on a Friday, 
when we've got people looking around the school? Definitely not a good idea, because <laughs> they go absolutely crazy. Um, we, I was doing a lesson on bearings, um, so I and we, well, we were doing the whole week on bearings, and this is my year nine class, and they, I, I, <laughs> I was really proud of it actually. I spent like a couple of days before, um, I printed off a, a, a whole map of the whole school, and then around the school put a treasure hunt of different bearings and coordinates and all this sort of stuff, and then they had this map, and they had to actually measure the bearings from north and, and clockwise and all this sort of stuff to the next point and then follow it round. And there was a, a bag of sweets at the end of this trail. Um, and it was great. Problem is, I did it on a Friday afternoon and they were hyper already and they were legging it around the school. Mm. And it because I talk so much about making my own classroom a sacred space, as soon as they're out of it, they're feral. Um, they're not feral. They're lovely, but um, they're slightly crazy. So yeah, it doesn't it doesn't always work fully because yeah, you're trying these new ideas and you think this is a fantastic, fantastic idea, and it would be with adults. Um, but then you either time it wrong or it's the wrong. Um, it's just the wrong day because of who's in the school, um, or you're not prepared to be absolutely everywhere at the same time, or one kid decides actually no I can't be bothered to do this and just sits in the toilet for a whole hour you know all of these factors you can't take into account mm. if you're outside of the classroom so yeah you do have to experiment you do have to change these ideas and yes it does go horribly wrong I always found when I did did uh, activities like that that it was um, it was quite what I think timing Friday afternoon is obviously probably not a good time anyway <laughs> but on top of that when you've got you need to have a way of working uh, to hold your students accountable to what they're doing. Yeah. So I think if you're, if they're going around the school, like <laughs> as a teacher in your space in your classroom that you're owning, you can see them. you can see everything. You you're in control of everything, yeah. and you're giving those students a lot more freedom once you go out to that classroom space. And it's very different. So it's very exciting for them. So I think when they um, when that then happens, uh, you have to be so on it. Exactly. You have to have a way of being on them and making sure that they are doing things they're meant to be doing um, otherwise they're kids at the end of the day they'll, well, find, right, they'll yeah. find a way to have fun with it yeah exactly that and you do you have to have those ways of being on it my biggest piece of advice to anyone for anything would be assume you're smarter than the other person and therefore you can outsmart them because in this situation you are all smarter than the kids um, so if they are trying to hide, uh, you know, I, I teach in a school that's, I mean, each floor is just a circle, effectively. So if they are going one way, I know where they're going. I can go the other way, it's, it, it, that sort of thing. Or um, uh, one of my proudest moments, actually, um, doing a probability lesson. And so each student throughout the lesson had two dice. They were doing probability of rolling a seven, rolling other numbers. We we're doing set um, sample spaces. Um, and I knew every single student had two dice. So when um, this specific, specific student gave me one die back, I was like, have you stolen a die from me? No, I haven't, sir. I was like, right, okay, I know you have. So we're going to ignore the fact that you've lied um, and I'll play a little game with you. We've just been doing probability, obviously. So I said, you know, what's the probability of you rolling an even number? And he was, you know, immediately it's a half. Great, excellent. So. If you roll that dice right now and you get a and you get an even number, you get to keep the dice. And he's, he's thinking about this in his head, and he's 
He's going, yeah, all right, 50-50 chance here. Get to keep the dice. So he rolls it, and before it stops, I pick it up and walk away. <laughs> <laughs> Always be cleverer than the kid. And yeah. then, yeah. And to be fair to him, he was like, yeah, fair play. That was, that was pretty good and didn't cause any issues. But it is all, all about being a step ahead of them mm. constantly. And you can be. you just got to be on it. And we do have bad days where we're not on it. But And you'll also learn over time, I think, when you're, when you're oh, right yeah. at the beginning, quite often it's not imp- possible to be in, or, uh, no. a step ahead of the 30 collective not uh, that you're, you're teaching. Not at all. So, but it is those, um, yeah, you, just being able to have confidence in yourself that you are, though, is, I think, a, a lot of... A lot of people go into a classroom for the first time, for the 20th time, for the 2000th time, and they still see a rabble in front of them. And they're not a rabble. They're still humans. They're not not hyenas. But we fear them sometimes like that. We fear students like that. And they are... I mean, I've, I've been in two massively different jobs in my life. And the best part of any role that I've ever been in is working with children because they are just fascinating and they are hilarious and they're amazing to work with. So as far as I'm giving all of these techniques about how to make them, well, robots effectively, I do want to put a caveat in there and say they they shouldn't be robots. They should allow them occasionally to be those kids because they are fantastic and you've got to trust them to be those fantastic kids that they can be. Um, So going back to what I was saying, you go into there with this fear of them and they're going to, they're going to know that you're scared of them and they're going to use it. Whereas mm. you go in there with the confidence, then they'll respect you for it. Yeah, I think it's, it's about having, it's about giving them that freedom of expression, expression within a structure, isn't yeah. it? And within, because if there are no rules, no, no structure for them, they will not be, they will no, not they have the possibility to share their, their, their thoughts and so have that freedom. We see that anyway. from some home life sometimes as well. If there's no structure at home, then there'll be no structure here. But and we do sadly see that sometimes, but mm. we give them that structure and we do it well and and they'll show some respect. So talk to me about your um, head of year, year nine role. So you, how does, sort of, what sort of behavior management techniques or um, I guess you work with families a lot more in that role. So what, what sort of um, things do you find useful in that job? Um, it's all about knowing the students really. I've got 181 year nines um, and I don't have any kids at home but I have 181 kids here that are they are my family effectively and I do look after them and I am responsible for them and I advocate for them and I know every, well I like to think I know quite a lot about every single one of them um, you end up knowing the perfect ones or the really high profile ones more than you do the ones that are middle but it's it's all about the importance of getting to know anyone, everyone and therefore also getting to know the students families as well um because i will have one year nine student in the morning that i know if he or she is misbehaving that i already know well dad's not on the scene so if i threaten to call dad that's going to be a massive kickoff and if i didn't know that that'd be something i'd do i'd threaten to call mum or dad and if i know that they're not on the scene then i'm not going to be able to do that and you need to get the right threat Alternatively, you might be that both parents are on the scene, but that actually you know that they don't really care about what their parents think, or their parents don't really care about what their kids do, which sadly you do come across sometimes. So you've got to know these things. You've got to know that certain kids won't work with a threat anyway. Um, Whereas a bribe works for some others. Um, And it does, and 
then again, one-on-one -on -one talking works well for some and being embarrassed in front of 30 other kids doesn't, or, or works for others, uh, is just getting to know exactly what works with each one as far as behavior management, anyway. So is, is, is there any more than, than just it takes time? Was there any, any particular techniques when you first came into that role that you used to develop those relationships and get that understanding of each student? Um, as time consuming as this is, it's being approachable. It's, you know, I, I, when I have the time, which sadly in the last few weeks has not been uh, as much as I normally do, but I have two or three lunch times a week where I'll be sitting in the, in the canteen with them, getting to know them. And I will spend my time getting to know them, hearing about their issues. And I am, my door is always open. They know that they know they can come to me and they come to me more than they do the pastoral leader sometimes. Um, because they know I will always give time to them, no matter what their issue, and that is time consuming, and that does end up giving you a headache sometimes, because mm -hmm. you are dealing with the most ridiculously small things. But if you didn't deal with those, then they wouldn't come to you for the big things where they actually do need you, and that is your responsibility. Um, so it, yeah, it's just taking that time to, to get to know them, there's no real other <laughs> quick fire technique, if I'm honest. Um, I mean, it works the same with the parents, positive phone calls home work a hell of a treat um definitely yeah 100%. <laughs> yeah and if if you had time to make 180 positive phone calls home then i would um even if they couldn't find a positive uh well you can always find a positive um just because then your name is in that parent's mind you are therefore approachable by the parent and you're also trusted by the parent it's we live in a really really sad place at the moment where teachers aren't trusted by parents the majority of the time and i think that's a real shame but the reason is is that we don't make enough contact with them and when we do make contact it's always negative so the more positives we make the more trustworthy we become the more oh he's a human he's actually going to help us sort this he actually understands a bit better than the robot teachers that we all assume or that we all had when we were kids because kids see teachers as robots um, and those that don't work in education still see that. So giving that impression that we are not robots or actually proving that we're not robots for those people that aren't. Um, it's interesting, it's interesting, interesting you mentioned that because I, I remember the exact meeting where somebody said like you need to be making more positive phone calls and following that point once I did actually start making those phone calls it made such a massive difference yeah. to my relationship with the students you get these parents that only ever get negative phone calls yeah and then they hear oh it's Mr. So-and-so from so-and-so school um, you can hear you can hear the, the sort of you can hear that oh dear what's he done now what's she done yeah. now and then you've got some positive news and that just brightens their day brightens um, their week yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then the student can, you know, sometimes come in and react really, really positively, mm -hmm. um, and say, "So I can't believe you, you know, you called my, yeah. you and called my mum or my dad." Or I can't believe you called my mum. Yeah, Thanks, secretly, yeah. absolute chat. <laughs> yeah, no, it worked, yeah, works well, a treat. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Jack. Thanks it's been a real me. pleasure talking to you. Um, if you've got any questions about what Jack and I have discussed in this episode, then please do get in touch. Mm -hmm. You can tweet me at Rich M. Broad or get hold of Jack through the Oasis Academy Mayfield website. Join us next time to hear more teacher hacks shared by teachers for teachers.